Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 69, 2023, week four recap and week five preview. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you have always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. Although I am not feeling well, we have another fantastic week of XFL games to cover. This week, I am once again joined by contributor Mark Halbach to provide a week four recap and preview the week five matchups. But first, we have those developments to cover. So let's get to it. On March 11th, the Orlando Guardians hosted the Houston Roughnecks. The Roughnecks defeated the Guardians 44-16. Also on March 11th, the Seattle Sea Dragons hosted the San Antonio Brahmas. The Sea Dragons defeated the Brahmas 16-6. Then, on March 12th, the St. Louis Battlehawks hosted the Arlington Renegades. The Battlehawks defeated the Renegades 24-11. Also on March 12th, the D.C. Defenders hosted the Vegas Vipers. The Defenders defeated the Vipers 32-18. As I had previously mentioned, I will now be rejoined by contributor Mark Halbach to review the Week 4 games and preview the Week 5 matchups. Welcome back, Mark. I appreciate taking the time to return for, I believe, it's our fifth conversation to discuss the XFL's Week 4 games and look ahead to this upcoming weekend's games, which is Week 5. Well, it's been, you know, five times already. Time flies when you're having fun, I guess. Uh, but yeah, we're looking forward to discussing this week's games and previewing next week. So uh, yeah, let's get to it. We're not going to waste that time. We're going to get right to game one. The Houston Roughnecks at the Orlando Guardians, the game that I missed because I traveled north. So I didn't get to see this game. I got to look at the box score a little bit. And from the box score, it didn't look pretty. Roughnecks winning this rematch of 44 to 16. What are your takeaways from this rematch? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, you know, I feel like the only issue that Houston may have had this game was the fact that Brandon Silvers was under throwing wide open receivers a little bit. Um, and uh, he even mentioned that himself during the game a little bit. Uh, but, the, you know, he was still getting, they were still, still getting wide open and he was still putting it on them. Uh, you know, he's 24 for 30 and 239 and three touchdowns. He had a heck of a night. You know, and I felt also this was kind of the offensive coordinator, A.J. Smith's coming out party. I think he put his name on the map uh, here for somebody that could potentially win one of these franchises and be a head coach. Uh, he's got a little bit of a personality. Uh, he got interviewed at the end of the game, and, you know, he's just a, he's a solid guy. Uh, you know, they brought out the double pass that everybody talked about a little bit. They did it a little differently than other people did, you know, thought they would, but it, it was actually a beautiful design and executed very well. And 
Uh, you know, former quarterback uh, Kirkland, you know, not only catching touchdown passes, he's throwing them too here a little bit. So, you know, when it came to that, we we saw what we thought we were going to see. We we saw a dominant team, saw three and O team dominate an O and three team. Nothing really, you know, stands out with with what's what was going on. I thought um, Dejon Lee had a nice game running the ball. They were able to run the ball a little bit more in the second half and really put together a whole game. You know, got their some of their conversions. And really just, um, you know, we got to see Cole McDonald a little bit more at the end of the game, not just during the conversion time. So that was always good to see. On the other side, you know, with the Guardians, um, you know, we're going to talk about the quarterback play there, but they got bigger issues than that right now. This team is is the penalties, the turnovers. The offensive line is atrocious. And you can't really run an offense when it's that way. So they need to figure something out in in that regard. And, you know, Terrell Buckley's, you know, demeanor and on the sideline, you know, he was getting very frustrated and I can understand and, you know, putting his hands in his face and, you know, it gets, it, it does wear on a guy who really wants to do well, you know, so it shows that, that he's passionate about it. But if we're sitting here thinking, you know, DeAndre Francois is going to come in and be the savior. You know, he could play, and I think you're just going to get the same result. You'll get a guy that can run around. I still think Paxton Lynch gives you the best chance to, you know, at this time, compete, right? Not not just win right now, but even just, just to be competitive. His game wasn't, you know, wasn't terrible. I mean, he team for 38, 267, and two touchdowns. He did have one fumble, but, you know, with that offensive line, there's nothing that can happen. And every time you'd get a, you know, a couple of good plays, they'd wind up getting a penalty that would just, you know, backtrack them again. So, I mean, it's typical of a team that's not very good or very talented to have a lot of penalties because they're just overmatched and they were overmatched this time again by Houston and Houston is doing what a championship team does right now. They're getting better every week. So they're they're kind of ascending and championship get a little bit weak. You know, they may stumble in a game here or there, but right now I'd like to see somebody, you know, even compete with Houston right now. If I'm Houston, obviously you're you're doing things right. You got a great defense. Uh you got a young and upcoming offensive coordinator that I think should be on a head coaching hot list here. And if you're the Guardians. You just got to keep doing what you were doing and try and figure out whose personnel is and, you know, get personnel in and out that that you feel can play. I feel like they've got such a good, you know, receiving core out there and they do have a little bit of a running game. If they put something together that they'd be able to do, you know, that they'd be able to compete a little bit more and, and possibly win. But again, the Guardians have to play a, a perfect game for that, and they, they're they just making too many mistakes to to really do that. So it's unfortunate right now, um, but, uh, you know, we'll see what they do this week, you know, versus the Vipers. And, you know, Houston obviously is, is playing like the best team in the league right now. So I obviously did not watch the game. I was honest with you. I've been honest with, the, you know, the listeners. That I, you know, was up in Buffalo, so I call it very little XFL action this weekend. So I know I'm not going to share a whole lot, but when I look at these numbers, right, when I look at the statistics, and there's something that I'm kind of picking up from it. So I could be completely off base here, but 
no, by no means do I have the inside scoop on this. But looking at this, you know, when you look back to when Dormady in game one, you got some decent time at quarterback. You get a decent amount of attempts, you know, got to run the offense. There's something lacking here with DeAndre Francois that the team is not sold on. If they thought that he was showing enough in practice, or they thought that he could be the player to turn the season around, or at least potentially spark him for at least one victory, get him really into the game for a chance at it, I think we would have already seen it by now. Because you look at the numbers, he only had four passing attempts. For whatever reason, he's on a short leash. We kind of come back to that term I've used previously. He's not given the opportunity that we would have anticipated, you know, with the rotating playing two quarterbacks that Buckley had mentioned in the early part. So looking at that, anyone that's clamoring or in on their soapbox claiming that DeAndre Francois needs to be the starter clearly is not seeing the writing that's on the wall, so to speak, right? That's it's just there to see, right? We're not there. But it's pretty glaringly obvious to me that that's what it's telling me is that if they thought he was anybody that could do it, he'd get at least half a game when things fall really far behind, right? If you're out of it now, when your season's essentially on the line now, you need to start winning games or it's over. And he didn't get that, you know, from what you were sharing with me and whatnot, is that he came in and then eventually Paxton came back in. So there's something telling us Francois is not the leader. There's not the guy the team is looking towards, right? So that I'm, again, I don't know anything. I'm looking only at a box score. Didn't watch the game, so take it for what it's worth. But that is exactly what I'm getting from what I've seen box score after box score, especially after this crazy of a blowout. Well, I, I something there, and and I I can understand why people would call for the backup, right? At the at this time, they want to see what he can do. But like like I mentioned, their problems are much bigger than who's playing quarterback right now. And when you got problems that are that big, you're not a very good football team. Francois can run the ball a little bit more, maybe scramble a little bit more than Paxton does, but I don't think he's going to get the ball downfield the way they need to. And the other thing is, is, you know, they may go into these games, you know, with, you know, game planning with what he does well. And, maybe taking some input from him, you know, on some of the plays he wants to run and, and that, you know, he's had success with in the past. So you just never know. But yeah, I mean, I don't think you you can put DeAndre Francois in, and in my opinion, the result doesn't change. You, you might get a guy that can run, you know, here and there, you probably get a couple more holding penalties just because he's scrambling out of the pocket in the offensive line, you know, when a lot of holding penalties happen, when, you know, people change directions, you might get a couple more of those uh, because of them and it could be a downfall. But I mean, yeah, he could bring maybe a little bit of a, a spark, but over the long term, I don't think he's off with that. Um, you know, and I can get into why, why I believe in Paxton Lynch. And I, I'll tell you this, this is how much I believe in him. If he was in Seattle or if he was in Houston, how well would he be doing right now? Coaching matters. The team matters. The situation matters. You see it all over the NFL. You know, it matters where you wind up going, The you know, with that. So in my regard, I think he, he hasn't been done a very good service in his career-wise 
with the where he's been put and the expectations that have been set for him. But you know what? I know he's going out there and he's still slinging it. He's gonna he's gonna give it everything you got, and you know even down by three scores, Paxton is gonna sit there and still sling the ball and, and still trying to score points and put you in a position to win. So. I just think his situation right now, he he's just is not doing him a good service. I mean, you could you could compare that to 2020 Brandon Silvers to 2023 Brandon Silvers, like I mentioned in the preview. Brandon Silvers put in the right offense. He's in the air raid right now. That's what he ran in college. You know, he's got one of the the up and coming offensive coordinators. You know, that seems to have a lot of free will on on what he wants to run and he's doing really well and thriving. So I think um, the guardians problems are just bigger than quarterback. You could put anybody in there right now. You put Brett Favre in there right now and and you're not going to get a different result. All right. Well, I don't have really anything else to add, so we'll just move on to game two. So it was the San Antonio Brahmas at the Seattle sea dragons with the sea dragons winning 15 to six. You know, I look at this and I got an, a thought, but I didn't watch this game either. So, you know, I, I like I said, I'm not don't have a whole lot to add this time around, folks. I'm more of just helping to facilitate this discussion. So, what are your thoughts here? You know, for the game in Seattle. Well, well this was interesting because this was the um, this is what I call the bend but bend but don't break game. Both defenses were just playing bend but don't break defenses, and San Antonio you know, was playing so deep, they weren't giving up the big play. So there were some things that Seattle probably, you know, needed to adjust to. And they they got to it with Morgan Ellison and started running the ball a little bit more and started hitting some throws underneath to start moving. So when teams do that, you have to put together plays, right? You got to start putting together positive plays or you got to hit a guy on the run that can make, you know, a big play and explosive play out of that. So that's kind of what San Antonio did. So interesting because if you watch it, there's some backs are so far back sometimes that you're like, oh yeah, they're just trying to keep everything in front of them and make sure that they don't get beat by big plays. Now, Danucci again had a, had a nice game, you know, 28 for 41, 264, a touchdown and an interception. Again, they can overcome maybe one two turnovers a game due to their explosiveness and the fact that they can score pretty quickly sometimes in that offense. They did spread the ball around nicely. I thought he did that well. Um, You know, Pearson had eight receptions. Jackson had five. uh, Gordon had five. Green had four. uh, Beasley had three. So he spread the ball around really, really well uh, to people and, uh, you know, had a good game. It's just that they needed to, you know, get a little bit more points when they got down into the, you know, the red zone and got closer in, um, you know, capitalized, which they were able to do a little bit later in the game. But Antonio, um, you know, was was playing that, but I'll, I'll give San Antonio credit. They played hard. You know, Heinz, he's got them playing hard. I mean, they, they, this is, this is a team that's not going to give up. They're going to keep moving. They're going to play very, you know, on that defensive side of the ball, they, they, on both sides of the ball, they played hard. Now, offensively, they just couldn't get anything going. And this is, this is kind of the same issue that the Renegades have a little bit right now is, is, you know, Jack Cohn right now is just, he can't get the ball down the field. And 
protection wise, I don't know sometimes if he's got the time. I mean, he, he put together a nice little game. He was 20 for 39, you know, a little over 50%. And then, you know, 189 yards. And he didn't turn the ball. Uh, he had, he did, uh, he fumbled, but they didn't lose it. So he didn't turn the ball over either. And they played a really clean game. I don't think they had any turnovers, I believe, when it comes to that. So I just think that, um, you know, they're lacking in offense is, again, going to, come to that offensive line. I think sometimes, you know, Cone is taking a beating right now, but he, I don't know if he has kind of the arm strength to get the ball downfield either right now. And so that's going to bring the question up. Do we see Reed's in it soon? You know, um, at least given a shot. Jack's done great. I mean, he's done everything that you could ask him to do, except get the, get the ball downfield and, and pick up big chunks of yardage. and that's what you need in in this league. And that's what you need in football sometimes, you know, to be able to do that. So, I mean, he put together a nice little game, but it wasn't enough. And really Seattle was able to, you know, come across and, and score a little bit later in the game and put them away. I'll tell you what, the Brahmas played hard and they'll continue to play hard. And once you get them at home in front of a crowd, they may have a chance, but they could be looking at a quarterback change here shortly just to see if the, the, you know, if Sinek can, you know, maybe push that ball down the field a little bit more. But Jack Cohn's doing everything he's been asked to do. He's not turning the ball over. He's not making bad mistakes. Um, you know, they played a really clean game. They just, they're just not explosive enough right now. And offensive line wise, they're, they're not those good running backs that they have. They don't have enough to really give them that. Um, well, that was going to be my question, Mark, is that, you know, I look here at the box score and 11 carries, and I'm thinking, okay, this team seemed like it was going to be a, I won't say run heavy, but it was going to be, you know, at least balanced. And it doesn't look balanced at all if you're throwing the ball 39 times and you're only, you know, rushing on 11 attempts. And two of those being Jack himself. So you look at it, that's only nine attempts from somebody that's not your quarterback. And it doesn't seem like exactly what we anticipated. I'm saying we as in a lot of people, not just you and I, but, you know, when I had uh, Sam Just on from the Shady Sports Network, I mean, there's just anybody I talked to, everyone thought this was going to be a, at least a balanced team, if not going to be focused on the run in some way. Well, again, offensive line, that can shift some things. So I don't know if it was ever thought or the game plan until now the season's underway. Now they kind of shifted in away from what they thought. Maybe they weren't ready to throw the ball 39 times a game. And just hypothetically, right? I'm just saying, like, is this something now that they're, like we said, it's no longer to speculate. We just got to stop the speculation, right? We got four weeks worth of games. These teams are showing exactly who they are. Well, maybe they learn exactly who they are and who they're not. Oh, absolutely. And, And they just can't push people up front. And so the equalizer to that is to just kind of pass blocking, you know, is a very tough thing to do, but run blocking, if you're overpowered, you're just overpowered and, you know, they're going nowhere with it and they don't have, you know, the running quarterback that might be able to offset that a little bit, you know, with some reads and and being able to block another person with a read, as, as you say, when the quarterback's kind of running. 
So they have to do some other things. So you see them trying to throw sometimes a lot of screens and a lot of other things and just a lot of like, you know, short passes to kind of make up for that. But yeah, I mean, we thought, you know, with running back crew that they hate, they were going to, you know, pound the ball a little bit more. And that might be part of the reason they can't get it downfield is because they thought play action was going to be their, you know, take their shots type, type plays. And, and they just don't have those right now. So I think again, you can look at the, the experience of coaches a little bit here that have had to deal with offensive lines that may not have been as good as other offensive lines, you know, like June Jones, you know, in the air raid, you, you kind of really pass block and, and kind of cover that up really well. And then, you know, obviously um, the defenders, their head coach, you know, came from kind of the the smaller college, right? Where you're not getting the six foot six, six foot seven guy that Wisconsin's getting or Notre Dame's getting. So you learn to to deal with, you know, those uh maybe undersized linemen or or not as talented linemen and you're looking for certain things out of that. So I think this this team, if I think they can win a couple games here and there, but right now they just, they don't have enough explosiveness on offense and um, they're going to keep kind of playing these low scoring games a little bit. I think, Um, I think their defense will keep them in there, keep it to a one score game and maybe they can, you know, get lucky at the, you know, get a drive at the end and get a play here or there. Somebody makes and, and, you know, win a game or two out of that. So, but we'll just have to wait and see, but, this could be an opportunity for, you know, a quarterback change in, to see what, uh, you know, Reed Stinnett can do. All right. Well, we'll move on to game three, the Arlington Renegades at the St. Louis Battlehawks with the Battlehawks winning 24 to 11. I will say I did catch the tail end of this game. So I did catch Slaughter's interception there. Like, what are you thinking? They actually had a chance here towards the end. I mean, I'm not saying they were, in it, in it, but they weren't out of it at the very end. But that definitely pretty much took care of the game for the, the Battlehawks. Yeah, I mean, uh, Slaughter, you know, obviously they they were in it enough <laughs> turning the ball over as many times as they did. Uh, you know, the Renegades, I mean, they, they turned the ball over four times and they were still in the game. Like, by the time the end came, Kyle, I, I still think this is another – this is another San Antonio and, and Guardians issue. Their offensive line is just not very good. And I mean, Sloter just got, he got beat up. I mean, I thought the one time his shoulder was going to get torn apart. He got, he got hit very awkwardly after he threw the ball. And he's the type of guy that he's a little bit of a gunslinger. So he's going to take some shots. And, and, you know, that's one of the, why he gets you know some of these NFL tryouts is because every once in a while he makes those shots and people go ooh <laughs> you know or go wow um but again you know they they've got no rushing game they can't keep the quarterback upright they don't have a running quarterback to to offset the deficiency up front and they don't really have you know a receiving crew i mean Sal Canell is you know the only guy i see you know actually open and so they're, they're going to struggle a little bit. Now their defense is lights out. Holy cow. Their defense is going to keep them in games. Their defense is going to hold people to, to a certain amount of points, but you know, they're going to, they're going to wear out eventually throughout the game. 
And that's kind of what, what happened here. And, you know, AJ McCarron put together a great game. I mean, 20 for 27, 214, two touchdowns and an interception. I mean, he put together a great game. Darius Shepard's coming on now, um, both on special teams and, you know, with, you know, the offensive play. And, and he, he's still relying on Hakeem Butler to make some plays as well. And, you know, it was good to see um, Brian Hill, too, get some some running action and, and score for the Battle Hawks. But they put together a nice little game. You know, they were able to hold the Renegades, obviously, on, on offense. And they were able to take advantage of the times they were in the red zone. And, you know, A.J. made the little signal. We all know what the, the elbow signal means. It's, you know, it's a quarter route. They, they said it on TV. and. You know, Shepard ran a great route, and they knew they had that. So I think they did a great job just all around, you know, special teams-wise. They're solid, and there was no way they were losing that game in front of 38,000 fans. You could have put anybody in there, and I don't think that you, they would have played so hard to win that game. You know, and they just kind of wore the Renegades out a little bit and were able to, you know, to score, you know, a little later as well. So. It was a good game. I think, you know, I felt for the Battle Hawks. Again, the Renegades have, have no idea what what's going to work on offense. Honestly, their offense and the Brahmas' offense almost looks the same. And the only difference is Kyle Sloter's willing to throw an interception to, to make a big play. And that's causing some more turnover stuff. So it's going to be hard for the renegades to to really move forward until again they solidify that offensive line play and get a little bit better there and the battle hawks you know what they they're going to have another week here at home um versus the defenders for you know the top of the north and um you know we'll see how that goes i mean that should be a really good game and you know a really good matchup as well so we're looking forward to that but you know there wasn't anything that overly stuck out in this game other than than you know just over 38,000 fans um you know in St. Louis which was above expectations which is great for this league and um you know if anybody was was definitely watching they saw a great fan base that it is going to support the their team here in St. Louis. We'll move on to game 4. We had the Vegas Vipers of the DC Defenders the defenders winning 32 to 18. I will say this is the game I got to see the most of, but I was pretty sleep deprived. So I can't say that I watched a whole lot of it, but it was very apparent that Hunley, he was pulled not because of injury. It was just made apparent, even in the broadcast that he was pulled because of production. And that's what I caught. And I was like, oh, okay. So at first I thought he was coming out because maybe his, his hamstring was just a little tight. But they went with Perez, and then they stuck with Perez. So, I mean, I thought that was interesting because here I thought the big money guy, so to speak, the big experienced guy, was who they're going to live and die by a little bit. And um, that kind of surprised me. I mean, what, what are your thoughts? It doesn't help that you fumble the first snap of, of the game. You know, um, that doesn't help your cause. But they did go back to him. Okay. It's hard not to think that this was part of an injury, um, but it could have been the fact that maybe he didn't practice as much. It could have been, you know, when he did run the ball and what they had in the game plan for him 
wasn't going to work after they saw him run the ball. I mean, he was four for five for 50 yards. What else, you know, what else do you want from him? Well, just why I thought it was a hundred percent injury, but then it kind of, the way that they alluded to in conversation in the broadcast, like, okay, this wasn't injury related. This seemed to be production related, but it didn't look at production. Yes. You talk about a fumble. That seems obvious, right? I mean, but four for five, it's a different story. I was like, hold on. He wasn't like completely out of it. So yeah, go ahead. I didn't mean to steal your, not at all. It's, it's just weird because I thought, I think it's because of injury. I don't care what anybody says. I think it was because of injury period. I just don't think, I think he may have walked over there and said, guys, I can't, I can't do this. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, it's still there. And, and if we're, if you want me for, you know, the last five games, you're going to have to rest me for these two, you know, these two, you know, and, but, you know, we'll move on from that. So it could, you know, it could have been from injury. It could have been from, you know, play and performance. It could have been other reasons, you know, but Rod Woodson decided to go with Luis Perez and, and Luis, you know, put up a, really good game. He kind of kept them in it, <laughs> if you think about it. And, you know, uh, was able to really get first downs and, and really, you know, move the ball. And he pushed it downfield a little bit as well, you know, more. And I think the one thing with Luis that would make him go from probably a, I'd say right now he's an above average quarterback to maybe a good quarterback to a very good quarterback is his pocket presence. Every once in a while, he makes a great move out of the pocket and then throw makes a nice throw downfield. But a lot of times he doesn't feel the rush coming. He doesn't feel, you know, there's kind of that sixth sense a little bit. You know, I'd hate to use that term, but there's kind of a little bit of that where you can kind of feel things kind of closing in on you a little bit when you're in that pocket and you know, hey, either I got I to gotta protect the ball or I need to find an escape route. And typically you can see that escape route with your peripheral vision, right? But he kind of gets knocked around in the pocket every once in a while. And you're just like, oh my God, like, you know, get rid of the ball or, or run, you know? And, and so he could go from above average to, to good to, to very good if he was, it had a little bit more pocket presence. Now, is that something you can learn? I don't know. You know, <laughs> I've had quarterbacks in blitz drills to try and get them to feel people around them and, and things like that and put them in other types of drills to make sure that they feel people around them when they're throwing the ball. But he put together, he came in and, and pitched, you know, he pitched the beauty. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't ask for anything more from him. But, you know, un- unfortunately, the the defenders, you know, defensively, they can they're opportunistic and they can make a stop. You know, they, they might give up a play here and there, but they make a stop. And Jordan Tiamu put on a show. So he he showed you why he is the starting quarterback for the defenders and Derek King's not quite in there. I mean, he passing wise, he was great. 14 for 19, 177. And then he had nine carries for 89 yards. That's him. That's his game. And when he plays a good game like that, like we were talking about last week, when he starts to ascend, right, the defense doesn't need to probably do as much, and they're able to come away with a lot more points. Um, and they were just able to to kind of muscle the Vipers around a little bit more. The play before the half, obviously, was a very big play. Perez, I don't know if it was a designed back. Uh, some of me thinks it is. I really because 
part of me feels like it was. If that was so, then that's on the coaches. That's a terrible play call in that situation. But if that is Luis taking off with 11 seconds left, you better make sure you hit it in there. And he didn't. So what he needed to do is probably just throw the ball away so you can get at least three points and take some momentum into the locker room. But comes to it, they call a touchdown. Dean looks at it. Now, here's the thing. Again, when do they look at plays? When don't they look at plays? Like, I don't understand. Like, they looked at a turnover. Dean cleared it, and then the coach challenged it. Why wouldn't the official just say, Dean already cleared this? Don't You don't have to use your challenge. He are, The word already came down, you know, in, in another game. It was really weird. I'd have to find out what game that was. Um, but in this case, you know, there was, you know, they didn't need to use a challenge, and the runoff is the rule, right? But, you know, Woodson, you know, obviously wasn't too happy with that, and that got him off of his case, off of his game a little bit. And you just saw him barking at the ref the whole game, the whole game, the whole game. He was more concerned about the refs than he was his players. And when you get to that, it's over. Okay. The players then start complaining about the refs, which I think there was a tweet by a player that said something, you know, one of them had about the XFL referees. Well, let me tell you this to any player and coach out there. I challenge you that after your days are done, you go out there and be a referee. I challenge you to go and do it. Hardest job in the world other than being a parent. Okay. Nobody ever thinks the right call. There's been studies done that if you're a fan of one team, you side with calls that go for your team rather than calls that go against your team. So, it is the hardest job, and I challenge any player that criticize any coach that criticizes refs to go out there and do that. Okay, any fan, go out there and umpire a little league game once and see how you feel. The other thing about refereeing, too, I would always tell my players this: I've never seen a perfectly coached game, I've never seen a perfectly played game, and I've never seen a perfectly officiated game. Everybody's human until you play and coach that perfect game then you got an argument but until then you know what officiating is officiating you got to live with it and he seemed more focused on that than than anything else now the vipers are you know a team that we thought were going to be pretty good i think they're one that you know they're underachieving a little bit here a little bit and you know they got an opportunity this week uh, because we got the old and four bowl coming up and, you know, unless it ends in a tie, which this game cannot end in a tie because of the shootout, you know, somebody's going to come away with a win. So if I'm Rod, you've gotten some bad weather, you've gotten some bad luck, you've gotten the probably a bad facility. <laughs> but you know what? It's time to put on the positive spin on everything. Put it, you know, it's you against the world and, and really charge to it. So. I know, you know, I talked a little bit more about the officiating than I did about the game, and I hate to do that. But they, the defenders just put together a great game and, and really are showing, again, they're ascending, right? Championship teams get better as the season goes on. So we're going to have a hell of a, you know, in St. Louis this week. So. so I'm glad you brought up the officiating 
be honest with you, because um, there's been kind of a, a trend here going. And I'm not just saying for the Vipers or whoever, right? Okay, the defenders are probably a uh, little smash mouth, right, on the defensive side of the ball, right? They're walking the walk. They're talking it, but they're walking it, right? We've seen it. Like, we see how things get a little chippy. More one game here. So, you know, it, sometimes it gets a little tempers flaring, you know, depending. It doesn't matter what side of the ball. Okay, I get that. But when we see this ongoing thing now with the officials, and I'm not I'm not trying to say the officials are wrong here. I'm not. I'm, what I'm saying is A.J. McCarron sat there in a press conference and kind of went after some officials. And then you have the defense alignment for the Guardians in a press conference. I mean, these videos are all out there from Maddie Fresh. Anyone doesn't know me from uh, Spring Ball Boulevard, uh, the show that he's got. He's sharing them. And I mean, it's out there. These players just can't let go of the officiating. Well, here's my thing. You're in a league of opportunity. And if this is what you're going to focus on and not focus on what you need to look in the mirror and self-reflect, I don't know how they're going to improve themselves moving forward. There's players, coaches, whoever. Coach Woodson, in my opinion, and a lot of people, thought had a heck of a football team to begin this season. You are 0 and 4. Now, you are going into the tank bowl, as some people want to call it, because, you know, two teams are 0 and 4. What's your excuse if you don't pull this one out? Is it officiating again? And again, I'm not going to try to bash anybody, but it comes to a point like, I think the league at some point is probably going to have to come in and be like, hey, we need to tone down some of this rhetoric, okay? Because at some point, the league itself needs good publicity. And I know everyone says any publicity is good publicity because, right, it gets us talking about. But at some point, if players are talking poorly about officiating, well, it's going to come a point that fans are going to be like, yeah, it's just a crappy officiating. You know, it just ruins the football. You know, and I, I don't want to be the negative guy here because we are pretty positive. We're torchbearers for the league. And, you know, that's how the show has typically been. But there's a couple of times you have to be real. And I think this is another black eye for the league. At some point, this can't continue. I'm not saying you can't be right every once in a while to call out a, a bad call. But everyone is human. Like you said, at some point, we got to move on past. It's just football to be played. Four quarters, you got to win games. And I've been in plenty of sports, whether I played soccer, basketball, heck, even tennis, that you're self-officiated in high school. Well, you had to overcome if the other kid's going to keep calling, somebody's going to call your, your shot out. Well, you didn't have an official to complain to. Guess what? You had to play so good to make it so that couldn't even be close to a call. You know what I'm saying? At some point, you got to up your game. Like the defensive lineman is like, I'm getting held, I'm getting held, I'm getting held. Well, yeah. Who's not getting held on a play? Every, you know, I've been watching football for a long time, and anybody I've ever touched is just holding on every play. It's just a matter of whether you catch it or not, right? So, I mean, at some point, like, it, why is he sh- surprised? He shouldn't be, right? Let's let's play the game, let's move on, and let's focus on improving the things that need to be improved. Whether you're Coach Woodson, whether you're Coach Buckley, whoever, right? So, I mean, this is my little rant here, uh, you know, not to kind of go on it, but like, it, man, come on, we're moving to Week Five. Can we move on past focusing on the officials? You know, because a lot of these players look like that's what they want to do now in the post game, and it's it's kind of getting a little getting a little old to me anyway. Well, you know, I agree with you with the uh, with you know whether or not you know the league comes in and says, hey, you know, and I'm sure there's got to be a time where you know all the head coaches are on a call with you know whether it's Dean or you know Danny or Russ Brandon, and they just say, hey, let's let's warn our players about 
talking about the officials in a poor light. My response to some of it is, you know, play better. You know, guess what? You don't think you're going to get held in the NFL? (laughs) You know, give me a break. You know, you don't think you're going to get hit in the head in, in the NFL? I'd be on my offensive lines case if I was getting my head smashed in more than I'd be on the officials case. Now, I said last week, I feel that the officials needed to call more of the headshots to the quarterbacks, and they did this week. You know, there were a couple of them, and they were good calls. Not every call is going to be great. Not every call is going to go your way. Control what you can control. And typically, teams that can control what they can control are doing that. Typically, teams that are penalized a lot aren't good teams because they're, they have to hold because they're not physically as good or they have to, you know, pass interference because they're not physically as good. So, you know, there are discipline penalties too, like, you know, jumping off sides or false starts, but you know, those are going to happen to the best players in the world too. But at the same there are you know, things that are worked on and, and disciplined and you got to drill it in a little bit. So, you know, again, officiating, they don't see what we see, right? Like they don't see the TV version of a football game. They're down there looking at the game differently than we do. So we see different things and they're trained to look at, you know, specific spots and, and that's what they're, they're supposed to do. So I, to me, let's play a little bit better. If you're going to, you know, that's what I would tell my team. I'd be like, you're getting holding penalties because you stink. Because you don't move your feet and you're not blind, you're not using technique and you're not using fundamentals, you know, or you're getting held as a receiver because you don't know you're not using a technique to be able to get hands off of you, or you're not getting enough separation from the, from the, uh, you know, defender, you know, can come back on you anyway. Now I get a coach getting on, on an official every once in a while, you know, Hey, sometimes you got to let them know you're there. And a part of that is just mostly being communicated to, right? Like you want to know what's going on. To me, my response to those players and as a head coach, my response would be, we'll play better. Okay. You don't want to get hit in the head, get rid of the ball, get some pocket presence, you know, play better. Penalties happen because of poor play, you know, period, you know, and you want to be, you know, you want to elevate yourself out of here, out of this league into another league. Well, guess what? They're going to be a lot more handsier on you defensive back than than they are in in because they're an NFL corner or, or linebacker. They know all the tricks of the trades of where to pull and how to pull and when to pull and all that stuff. So I'll get off my soapbox here. It's my weekly soapbox, right? But just let's focus on the play and let's get better and let's put a nice product on the field. Four weeks in, week five is on the horizon. There's plenty of game tape out there now, folks. We know who they are, right? So we got a preview here of four more games, but it's not so much speculation now. They have really established who they are, who they're not. These teams that are building upon a solid foundation, and there are teams that are just trying to establish a foundation. So when we look at here at game one, we have the 4-0 and Houston Roughnecks at the 2-2 two and two Seattle Sea Dragons. What are you anticipating with this Thursday night matchup? Well, first of all, I anticipate being tired Friday morning. Um, 
Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I know we want to shed, you know, good light on the XFL, but this weekend's schedule is, is, is not a great schedule. I'm just going to put it out there. A lot of late games and a lot of weird times. So um, it looks like they're trying to fix that a little bit more uh, with some of this uh, flexing of games and stuff like that. But anyways, I anticipate me being tired Friday morning, first of all, because it's going to start at nine o'clock central and I will watch it. <laughs> and um, you know what? I This is going to be the roughneck's biggest test. I, I think, you know, to date, um, I think it's an important game for Seattle. Okay. Uh, being two and two in order for them to, you know, keep pace with uh, the battle Hawks and the defenders. I think they, they need to take a game like this. So I think this one's going to be pretty good. I think, I think you're going to see a bit of a shootout though. I think you're going to see both offenses come to play. And, you know, don't get upset if your quarterback, you know, throws a pick here and there, you know, because it's, it might happen this game, but they just need to overcome it and defenses need to, you know, it'll be, can the defense stop them when, you know, sudden changes there. But I, I think this is the biggest test for the Roughnecks and and being in Seattle on a Thursday night, a little bit different schedule. Uh, Seattle's already done that once, so they know what it's like a little bit. Uh, Houston doesn't. But, um, you know, going on the road a little bit more here, uh, farther trip on a Thursday night, this is their biggest test. And uh, But I expect both quarterbacks to to light up the scoreboard, and you know, we should have a pretty good game here. I think at some point these home games start to mean a little bit more. You know, we know that Houston played a lot of home games, and, you know, going on the road to Orlando, playing against a poor team, you know, it's not really – in their ballpark at all. That's not much of a road game, but I think it's going to be a little bit different heading to Seattle for them. I'm not saying that they're going to lose, but I do think this could be Houston's first true test. I think this is what we're going to potentially see to be determined what actually happens because, you know, we're starting to see, I won't say trickery, but when you got the double forward pass coming out, they are opening up that offense. So this is why I don't really think Seattle is going to pull it off, but I do think they are going to test and push Houston to the limits. But, you know, I'm, I still think it's the Roughnecks, but I don't think it's going to be what we've seen from them. They may not do as well offensively. Maybe it won't do 30 points, 40 points like we just saw here. But, you know, it could be interesting. It could be, you know, slinging it a little bit. But I think at some point, Reality is going to start to set in, and there's just too much footage out there. Even though they're opening up their plays and they're adding, you know, a little bit more here, but I think at some point, teams that have coaches like a Hazlitt, a Zook, that have been around long enough, are going to start to find those faults, and I think they're going to kind of hone in on it. Now, whether you have the personnel to pull it off, that's a different story. But I do think this is going to be a different game, and I do think June Jones is up for the challenge against. That defense, I think he's been licking his chops and he's ready to prove some stuff. And, you know, we'll have to see. And I, I'm putting a lot more on coaches because at some point it becomes a chess match. You know, the footage is there. It's for you to find it and for you to prepare. It's a short week to prepare on. I don't know who that actually benefits, to be honest with you, but it's uh, that's also a thing to think about because if they're traveling on Wednesday, it's a very, very short week. Speaking of coaches, you know, we've got the mentor versus the mentee, you know, with June Jones versus AJ Smith. 
Now, I know a lot's been made this week about A.J. Smith and the air raid and Mike Leach, but he's also, you know, worked under June Jones and studied under June Jones. So a little bit of mentorship, you know, mentor versus mentee, which would be great to see. I think here the the most important plays in this game are going to be the conversions. If you can pick up, you know, the two points or the three points or even the, I, I think the person, the team that converts more conversions or scores more points on conversions is the team that wins this game. That's how close I think it is. And I think that's going to start to highlight how important the conversion plays are. I think late, you know, early on, you're just like, ah, you know, let's go for three and let's just kind of keep going for three, you know, but now all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute. If our, if the percentages are leaning more towards two, do we go for two more? Um, you know, and then also what the score will be, because I think you can make up a lot of ground in this game very quickly. So if you're two scores down, it can go fast and in, in a hurry. But yeah, it's, I think it's going to be fun to watch. And I think uh, you're going to see, you know, two offensive coordinators and, and the defensive coordinators, too. I mean, really go at it. And I'm looking forward to this one. I think this is a this is probably, you know, it's it's probably the second most competitive game of the week. You know, I think the the game of the week is the one we're going to be talking about next here, but I think this will start the weekend off pretty good. So, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. I like the Thursday night ones too. Like a little gives me something to do that night. Well, for those that drink coffee, make sure that you have your coffee maker set on that timer. It's ready to go because you're going to need it in the morning or you're going to need those energy drinks, whatever you do, but prepare yourself because that's going to be a late one. So we got game two here. We have the 4-0 D.C. Defenders at the 3-1 St. Louis Battlehawks. Okay. We know that the Battlehawks just had a heck of a crowd, 38,000 and change. Okay, and I saw a tweet earlier today. I won't get into it because I don't have it in front of me who exactly tweeted it, but I will give you what it was essentially sharing. Battlehawks have 18,000 season ticket holders. According to this tweet, there are 27,000 single-game tickets sold for that. So we might be looking at a crowd over 40,000. Was that 45,000? Whatever. Okay. Folks, this is not confirmed. I don't have anything. But they're living on a high there in St. Louis. And they're coming off a heck of a very chippy game just a couple weeks ago. And we know there's some bad blood here. This is going to be a good matchup. It's going to be a great game, I have a feeling. I, I mean, just go ahead, Mark. Tell me what you're thinking. Well, I think it's going to, you know, it's going to be a heavyweight bout here. I think, number one, it's in a good time slot on a Saturday evening for St. Louis. If this was like Sunday, the Sunday night game, I don't think they get that many people. But I think they're going to really, really, ex- that's, that atmosphere is going to be what it was maybe even more than what it was on, uh, you know, this past weekend. And, you know, the Battlehawks, I feel like this is a prove it game for them. We can hang with the defenders and they kind of got to prove that a little bit. I think they, you know, they hung with them a little bit, you know, in Audi field a couple of weeks ago. I kind of like how close these games are together, you know, because the you know, the rival has started. I think this is a good rival for the, you know, North Division. And you know, this one's this is a toss-up. I mean, just for league parity, I I'd like to see the Battlehawks win this. 
but you know, right now the defenders aren't doing, they can't do anything wrong. <laughs> so, and they got a little swagger to them. So they might, you know, they're going to come in there and, and it's going to be them versus the city of St. Louis. <laughs> and, uh, you know, probably, you know, over 40,000 fans and, you know, it's going to be, can, who can handle these high pressure games? And again, I would keep your eye on conversions. Uh, you know, who's, who's scoring conversions because that could be the big difference here. I can't wait for this game. I mean, this is going to be, this feels like a championship game. Like, I mean, this just feels that way. I mean, Seattle wins on Thursday night and then, you know, the battle Hawks, you know, if they lose, you know, Seattle's on your heels. And so I feel like it's a prove it game for them that they can play with DC and they can beat them. And, and I think they need to, to prove that to themselves a little bit, because if they face them in the pro playoffs, they need to believe that they, they can beat them, you know? And so we'll, we'll see what happens here, but I think um, this is going to be some fireworks going off on this one. And there will be a little pushing. Sure. That'll come. Uh, but I just, you know, I don't mind that. I just wanted to escalate into anything where people are getting suspended or punches are getting thrown and people are on the ground and, and things like that. Last time around. So, I mean, I, right. So, <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, good competitive, hard fought game, you know, is, is what I think we're going to see here. And it's going to be fun. I mean, I like Reggie Bar Barlow's kind of demeanor. He kind of sits back and lets Greg Williams takes all that swagger for the defense and Reggie's just kind of calm, cool, collective. Nothing gets him too high. Nothing gets him too low. And, and, um, he, he's, uh, proven that he's, you know, doing a great job there. Obviously, Anthony Beck is, is no St. Louis and, uh, has been part of that there and, uh, has really, you know, gotten behind them too. So this is just, this is the game of the week. If you had a game of the week, obviously this one's it. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. This has to be the game of the week. It's fireworks, whether it's quality of the game being played, whether it's the emotions, you know, and I don't like a whole lot of emotions tied to sports. I like just, you know, calmer heads, more focused, but there is emotion here. And we know it's going to be guys that are just looking to kind of, hey, it ended a little rough last time around. There's some guys that got suspended. Some guys got some fines. In this league, you know, you're not everyone's millionaires, okay? So whatever they got fined, whatever suspension, if it ends up losing a game check or whatever, supposedly, it's going to impact them a little bit differently. It's going to be tough to say that this doesn't. I mean, if you're making five, six million dollars a year and you lose one game check, I mean, I guess it's still a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not. You still have a lot of money. Here, these guys are not making that type of money. So I'm, I'm assuming this is going to be very emotional. And even though I don't like to see it, but I think it's going to, and it's going to add to a dynamic here. And we already got the crazy crowd. We already got, you know, these coaches are looking to compete. And we know Coach Beck talked a good game, but they've been walking it. Like with his personality and everything, they've been backing it up. So here we are. This isn't over. This could very well be the matchup we see in the semifinals. But this is this is going to keep adding to it. And how this goes could really make if there is that third pairing later in the season. Very interesting. So I'm intrigued about getting into X's and O's. I, I don't know what people want from us at this point. I, I would just say because you look at it, we know who they are. We know what they're, you know, what these teams are doing. At this point, 
It's it's just going to be a battle. I think that's what we're going to have. I think we have a battle unless somebody can't live up to the moment for whatever reason. I can't imagine McCarron's not that guy. He's a veteran, right? I think he's been looking for it. Unless something happens with Tyomu or King, you know, because they're they seem to be clicking okay enough where they can switch on and off. They don't have a guy. They're, they're just you know. So unless something an injury happens, I think that's the only type of thing that really swings it a way that we don't have that good game. No, that's, that's just me. Well, and you just, you, you see both quarterbacks and, and when I say both with Jordan and AJ, both kind of ascending, you know, and getting better uh, the last couple of weeks too. So you're hoping that, you know, their, their play continues to do that because yeah, who, you know, both, either one of them needs to have a good game for the, for their team to win. And, and, uh, you know, the, the two quarterback system with, with Derek King, I mean, it's, it's working, um, you know, but you know, Derek King's, you know, he's only seen probably what, you know, 10 plays a game, maybe 12. So it's not like, you know, who the starter is and you know, who you're going to go to in crunch time, you know? So, I mean, you kind of just have somebody to to take a few, you know a few pitches for them and and take a few plays off just to give you a break so that you get some fresh legs at the end of the game a little bit more for for Jordan but yeah no obviously this, this one um, everybody's going to look forward to it. it's a great time slot on a Saturday and if they put more fans in the in the dome that crowd and that atmosphere is going to be great so game three. We have the Tank Bowl, as I had previously stated. The 0-4 Orlando Guardians at the 0-4 Vegas Vipers. So we get to see Cashman once again. And hopefully now we get to see some improvements. But I'm not going to focus too much on that. But I was looking at some numbers here. And these teams, when you really look at the passing yardage, when you look at the rushing yardage, when you look at just touchdowns, when you look at defensively with turnovers or what, it just... They're pretty comparable. And I looked at the numbers. I'm not saying that somebody's not slick, but when if somebody's only a difference of 30 yards, you know what I'm saying? If somebody's only a difference of a touchdown here or a turnover there, after four games, that's pretty freaking close. There's really I I don't know if you're trying to scan through and take a quick look. But I was looking at this, at first I thought, I really thought this was going to be the Vipers game. I'm like, they're just they seem like the better team with talent. And I just thought it was going to come through. But then as I start looking through numbers, I just don't know. I really don't know. They're both playing for their lives. Can anybody just focus enough on not the referees and take a look at what they need to do this week? I know the offensive lines are going to be very important, but did Coach Woodson do just enough to tweak by taking Hunley out? Because if it was an injury, then they took him out. Or if it was to save him for the future, just to kind of make it. I'm not saying that early in the game he made a decision for the following week. But could you imagine, does have Coach Buckley and his crew having to figure out, well, what's actually coming at us now? So I'm like, but they're so close. It's really tough to pick this. I I mean, when I look at the numbers, it's just too close for me. Flip a coin, man. You'd have to think the home team has the better the better advantage, but the talent wise on the roster tells me that. But I don't know. I really don't at this point. They're both rookie head coaches, and they're both seeking a win. So desperation sometimes just may not bring out the best in you. So we'll have to see. But what are your thoughts? Well, it's going to be interesting to see who does play and start at quarterback for the Vipers, and 
And um, at this point, though, I don't I don't know if that's going to determine an outcome. Really, I think it's going to be who can who can make the most plays uh, when it comes to this. I think the Vipers have a little bit more name recognition to their team a little bit um, than you know the Guardians do. But you're right; they got the same kind of the same problems, right? Like they got O line problems, they've got penalty problems, you know, and and not taking advantage of other things. So, I mean. Honestly, this game's going to come down to, and typically games do, but this game's going to come down to the team that makes the least amount of mistakes. Okay. And typically it does. And I know that sounds coachish and cliche ish, but it's true. It's going to be who doesn't turn the ball over and who doesn't have the, the timely penalties. And if you do do that, can you overcome it? You know, can you overcome a sack? Right. Can you overcome a, a turnover? Can your defense get a stop? You know, so it's going to come down to that. I think this is going to be closer than anybody thinks it is. I think they, like you said, you know, sometimes numbers don't lie, but it's also how we interpret the numbers and how the numbers get there. There's two ways of looking at it, right? Statistics can but, be manip- manipulated. I, I learned that in college. I took yeah. statistics. I trust yep. I get it. But it just, when you look at it, it looks pretty close. But yeah, go, go ahead. But, but typically they're they give you the temperature, right? They, they kind of give you the temperature of what's going on. Right. Like, so, you know, just like when you go to the doctor and he takes your temperature, that's, that doesn't determine what your issues are, but it can help diagnose the problems. So that's how I look at statistics. Okay. So this is going to be interesting. And I would, this is what I would love for this game. And, and this is just me because I've been on my soapbox. I would love for Paxton Lynch to come out and light it up and throw for 300 yards and four touchdowns and everybody can just shut up about him. And then it'll be, oh, it was the Vipers. It was the Vipers. It was the Vipers. He played the Vipers. <laughs> but we'll see. It's going to come down to, to, to quarterback play too. Uh, but we don't know who's going to be for the Vipers. So there's so many questions to this game. And, I, you know, I wouldn't call it really a tank bowl. I don't know what the off season is. It's not like the NFL where, you know, you get the number one overall, you know, pick, or maybe you do, <laughs> but, um, you know, stated, had so. that, I don't think is, you know, I don't think that really matters in, in these spring leagues when you're putting together a team. I think this is, this is just the, the O and four bowl and, and somebody to try and get momentum and, and, and one of these coaches who doesn't have, you know, that came from non uh, coaching experience, right. To get a win, because again, head coaches that had some kind of head coaching experience went three and one this last week. So that means the other ones that didn't went one and three. So I'm, I'm going to keep that. I'm going to keep counting that a little bit, but this week they get, they at least get one win uh, with this. And, uh, but I think this is evenly matched and we might see a good game. You're either going to see a really, really sloppy game and terrible, and you're going to want to turn it off or you're going to see a good, good shootout. And um, I hope that's what we see. I, I think both these teams need that. They both need some confidence on offense. So but we'll see what happens. Question is, what is the weather forecast? I, I haven't looked at it. I know I'm trying to be throwing a little funny here. It's okay. We know that Vegas has had 
you know, the high winds, the one, the second game and the rain, the first one, I don't know what the forecast is, but you know, we know that there's some storms moving across the country once again, they're talking about this weekend, this weekend. So um, just be mindful that it may just not be meant to play football at Cashman, you know, for right now. And then not just Cashman, but Vegas, because I mean, the rain was going to be anywhere in Vegas or the winds too, but it's just kind of awkward that whenever there's a home game, it seems like there could be, and I haven't looked at the forecast, but it sounds like it might not be well once again. Well, it was, it was raining this previous weekend in DC too. So, I mean, three out of four games, Vegas has been bringing the weather with them. And so, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Um, uh, you know, if it's another rainy, sloppy game or high winds or anything like that, then we're, uh, we're in, we're in for a treat, I guess. But, um, this game might surprise, I think it might surprise us a little bit on the competitiveness and the, the play. I mean, if, if I'm an 0 4 team at this point in time, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to solve my issues, right. Or I'm trying to hide my issues. And some of these coaches have, like I mentioned before, have some experience hiding their deficiencies. And these, sometimes the people that haven't been head coaches don't know how to do that. Right. And I'm going to say, you know, Bob Stoops, I mean, come on, he could just, you know, get another offense or defensive lineman at Oklahoma when he needed one. Right. I mean, he could get another quarterback. I mean, so like it was a little, a little easier to find players to, to be able to, to do what you needed to do there too. But I think it'll be interesting. I think these, if I'm, like I said, if I'm an own four coach, I want my team to compete. I want them to play hard. I want them to get better. And I just want them to improve. And I want, I want people to respect us. So, and you get that by playing hard. So hopefully we get it this weekend. Last but not least game four, we had the two and two Arlington Renegades against the one and three San Antonio Brahmas. You know, I look at this game and for some reason, I think we're going to get a good one. I don't know why I'm getting this feeling. I, I really think we're going to kind of get this. I, and I know it's because I feel like something has got to give here at some point. Is Does Kyle Slaughter have just two games under his belt where now maybe he feels a little bit more comfortable? I know the offensive line is with the offensive line, but, you know, you look at the other one, I can't imagine this is going to be another low-scoring game. At some point, maybe Jack had enough to shake off whatever that look he had in week three. You know what I'm saying? that, And it just took a week to get it. You know, it, it comes a point that a rookie's no longer a rookie, too. You know, that's what they say. Like, once you get a couple games under your belt, you're no longer a rookie quarterback. So, my gut's telling me it's not going to be great, but maybe the Brahmas might just get a little bit of an uptick from their own home crowd again. Because they had a great showing with 24,000 people at the home opener, or even when the season kicked off. So I don't know what we're hearing for an attendance there this time around, but I can't anticipate that we may not have a good traveling uh, group coming down from Arlington too. So this might just be what both these teams needed to be facing each other at this moment. So maybe this might just be a good game. Yeah. If you, if you like defense, this will be a great game. Um, I think if you score two touchdowns, you're going to, you might win this game. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, like I said uh, earlier on, on a game, I think 12 points can win this one um, because these defenses are playing hard and they're playing well. And, you know, whether the Brahmas are playing, you know, bend but don't break and and uh, the Renegades are, are just playing that. But I think offensively, they both 
the defenses are too good for each offenses to be able to produce much. And so I think you're going to see the same old thing. I think you're going to see dink and dunk by both teams because the bend, but, but, but don't break. And, you know, it's going to come down to, Hey, did you make that field goal? And, and, you know, but they might kick. I don't think they're going to get, these teams are going to get in the end zone, but they get in field goal range enough. So I, I feel the kicker is probably going to be one of the most important guys. I just, I just don't see anything changing for either one of them overnight um, for what they want to be able to do offensively or what they've been able to, you know, what they've done. I don't think they have either one of them has a, a quarterback that they can put in to run zone read and, you know, power read and do those things because truthfully, that's what I would probably have looked for (laughs) if I was, you know, one of them, I, you know, if I was a team, I, I probably would have went with like, the guardians did. You got one of your, your kind of pocket guys. And then you got one of your guys that can run because if one thing's not working, the other one might, but we'll see. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I think you're going to see a lot of defense and I think you're going to see some field goal attempts. And if there's one missed field goal attempt, that could be the game. So if the Brahmas go with Reed Sedet over Cohen, does that change anything in your mind? Because that could just, shift things enough where the renegades couldn't prepare properly for this new quarterback and whatnot, or a a new quarterback. And could it just be enough that it's, Hey, we got to give this guy a shot. Anyway, he's got some experience, you know, playing in the national football league, whether it's, you know, with the dolphins and back and forth on practice squads and whatnot, but could it just be that I say you're no longer a rookie, but you feel you're in a point like, Hey, he's a divisional opponent. We got to see what we have in the backup guy right now because we are one in three. We are at home and we got to show, you know, to our fan base that we're going to try to do whatever we can to get a win. So, I mean, is how likely do you think that happens that they shake it up and go with Reed? Oh, goodness. I don't think it happens uh, unless Jack Cohn, you know, struggles and turns the ball over, but he's not known for that. You know what I mean? He's he's known to to be that. But here's what's got to be the difference then. If, if Reed comes in, can he push the ball down the field? And is the coaching staff willing and willing to call the plays that allow him to do that? And can the offensive line hold up enough to be able to do that? Because they got no running game, so play action doesn't work. You know, so I think I feel like you're just replacing the same person almost. Um, when, when you go with him, because they're not going to change what they're, what they're doing by, you know, make, trying to get the ball and throw downfield. Now, when you go from a Drew Plitt to a Kyle Sloter, you can kind of push that, you can try and push it down. But again, they got no offensive line. So he's got no time to, to get people downfield. So I don't think you really get anything out of that right now. Because just because your offensive line is struggling so much. So, you know, they got to find a way to, to, to protect the quarterback. And and if that means you got to max protect and run double moves, or you got to keep an extra guy in, or you've got to move the quarterback a little bit more, you know, sprint outs, you know, maybe a little play action sometimes works, you know, trying to get them offset a little bit. Um, 
you know, that'll, that'll help a little bit. Um, but I don't think they really changed their playbook enough to, to allow if Reed's in there to, to allow him to, to spin it downfield that it makes any difference. I think you, you've got the same person in the game, basically. It doesn't matter there. So, like I said, I, I think you'll see these, these guys, you know, they'll dink and dunk everything. And if they can pick up two, three, four first downs on a drive, they'll be able to kick a field goal, you know? And that's what I said, like kickers are going to, the, you know, the kicker is going to be the most important person this week and in field position. Oh, I'd like to thank the XFL for putting the red box on the kickoffs, by the way, so that we know where the ball needs to land. I appreciate that. That, that I thought was huge because now I get it a little bit. But if you wind up again, if the kicker messes up a kickoff and you start on the plus 45, you know, you get one first down and you're pretty much in field goal range. So field position is going to be big in this. And I think, you know, I know I mentioned early on whether or not you needed a punter or not. This week, you're going to need a punter. You're going to need them to be able to flip the field. And, and so I think the special teams and the kickers and punters are, are important. And I know that's boring to talk about. <laughs> you know, it's, it is kind of boring to talk about, but, but you know what? Sometimes you have games where those guys are so important. And I think this is a game where that is important. So watch where people start their drives. You know, watch the kickers, who's who's making mistakes there and who's not, who's having a good game as a kicker, right? And and see where where that stands because I think that's gonna play a big impact. Well, we just saw this past weekend the penalty on holding where they had to move the ball back and redo the kickoff and how that it didn't reach the zone that it needed to, right? I mean, so we know that it has implications and okay, this unique kickoff it's cool but now we see how a penalty likely makes it almost impossible for a kicker to get it into the zone that it needs to be it almost creates another dilemma for you know that moving the ball forward because they couldn't get it there so by getting moved back it is what it is but the reality is we hear guys like coach Beck making comments we have to be better in all three phases of the game well yeah special teams matters it does you know if you're depending on a field goal kicker Right, to get you the three points to keep you in the game, it matters. If you're depending on the punter to get a good punt, all right, yeah. So does the kickoff. We know the kickoff is vital now. Like when you see that type of thing happen, that penalty, get it right. It may not seem like a big deal, but that changes everything right then and there in a heartbeat. Field position is huge. We all know that that is vital to any drive. So yes. It, it yeah, makes sense. It, it's going to be huge in this game. So, I mean, pay attention to that. If you're, if you're, you know, used to paying attention to some other things, you know, pay attention to the the kicking game this week, both punting and and kicking, and and be like, oh, that you know, and it may happen early, and it may, you know, that could cost them the rest of the game, you know. So, it'll be interesting, in, in you know, in that regard. But uh, I don't see this. I don't see either team lighting up a scoreboard here. And, and like I said, I think 12 points will win, win the game easily. Well, I hope that's not the case. I hope we see a little bit more fireworks. I don't think we're going to see a lot, but I th- I'm hoping somebody cracks 20. It'd be nice if it was my guardians, but I don't think that's going to happen. But hey, anyway, it has once again been a pleasure. You know, I thank you for coming on to the show once again to discuss the week four 
you know, games and take a look at week five. And, uh, you know, you are now a staple of the show, whether you believe it or not, Mark. You know, five appearances, I think, is uh, puts you up there, if not surpassing Brian Roth, that <clears throat> was a, a major contributor early on to get this show off the ground. When I was struggling to get guests, I had a, a friend coming on, but um, you are by far more knowledgeable. If anybody does not know, he was just a, a fellow fan like myself that attended a couple of games. But it's really been a pleasure, and I, I really look forward to it. I know you have a vacation eventually coming up, and we'll try to coordinate that, you know, with hopefully finding somebody to fill your shoes. And that won't be a um, easy task by any means because um, – I think you fit in pretty well, and I, I hope that's what you're getting from other people out there as well. And I hope you're getting great feedback from any of your friends or family that are listening to your contributions, because I uh, I appreciate them, and I know others do as well. Well, thanks, Michael, and and I I appreciate you reaching out, you know, for you know to me to to get the opportunity to to do this, and uh, it's been fun. I think um you know we're, we're getting better at it, so um we're getting a little bit more efficient. Uh, you know, it's been fun and we're, we'll continue to do it throughout the year here and uh, we'll see what uh, the rest of the season has in store for us. So, but uh, thank you again for inviting me. You're welcome. And I will do my homework this upcoming week. I will not be out playing around for a bachelor party or stuff. So I will be watching football. I will know what I'm talking about, not just looking at some box score so folks i'm sorry if i didn't bring my a game this week i just uh, had some prior commitments but thank you mark once again if you want to throw your social media out there one more time why not sure why not so on twitter uh, at mark underscore hallbach that's m-a-r-k underscore h-a-l-b-a-c-h you know I've, i feel like i've gotten more of a a little bit more of a following now and also um, some more reactions to some of the things that I do say. Um, I do try to not tweet during the games only because I want to focus on the games and talk about them more. And I'm better at talking about them than tweeting them <laughs> about them. But every once in a while, you'll get something from me and, you know, and, and you'll get some likes from me too, probably if, uh, if you say something on there, uh, because there are commercials. So I need something to do during that time. So, but, um, yeah, no, reach on out if you'd like to. And, uh, you know, again, we'll we'll continue to talk football throughout the year. Right. Good deal. All right. Looking forward to next week already. Why not? Right. So try to have a good night and uh, we'll catch you next week. All right. Take care, Michael. All right. You too. I know I have shared my praise remark, but he is a savior. I am blessed having him involved with the show and look forward to his contributions next week. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform of choice. One last thing. 
If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.